developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is Julie Skolnick. Julie is truly an amazing person, as you'll quickly see her power and passion. Today, we're going to talk about parents of two E children and two E adults. But let's learn a little bit about Julie's impressive and adventurous life. Julie Skolnick, founder of With Understanding Comes Calm, LLC, has passionately guided thousands of parents of gifted and distractible children around the world, mentors twice exceptional adults, and advises educators and professionals on how to bring out the best and raise self-confidence in their twice exceptional students and clients. Julie's studies at Colgate University, Boston College, and Cornell Law School allowed her to take a deep dive into sociology and why people do what they do. Her advocacy focus orients on uh, towards seeking what someone needs based on who they are and how they show up in the world. Julie serves as secretary to the Maryland Superintendent State Ad, um, Advisory Council for Gifted and Talented Students and produces virtual conferences and other engagement opportunities for twice exceptional communities. She and her husband are parents of three twice exceptional children who keep them on their toes and always laughing. So it's truly a pleasure to have you uh, on Vision Beyond Sight. Welcome, Julie. Thanks, Lynn. I appreciate it. I'm delighted to be here. Well, thank you. Uh, this two-week conversation is always so interesting for me because uh, many of my patients in vision therapy have been referred by psychologists and uh, these patients have already been diagnosed or identified as being gifted, many of them twice exceptional. So let's uh, start out with you explaining what does 2E really mean? Yeah, so thanks. The twice exceptional or the number two and the lowercase letter E stands for this population that is identified as gifted with a learning difference or learning differences. So anything, I, I cast my net quite widely. I say gifted and distractible, which people tend to relate to more. And 10 years ago, when I started with Understanding Comes Calm, even fewer people had heard of Twice Exceptional or 2E. And so that distractibility part, that's all of the conditions or diagnoses that we see from ADHD to autism or vision processing challenges, dyslexia, dysgraphia, auditory processing. Um, and it's actually delightful to be sitting down with a vision therapist because so often, even last night I was actually speaking, 
and I got a question and I said, I would absolutely recommend that your child be evaluated by a vision therapist because so many people don't get that that's actually a thing, Dr. Lynn. So I'm so glad that, that I'm sitting down to talk with you today. But in the world of 2E, gifted is usually the thing that's actually um, more misunderstood. People assume that gifted means smart, bright, um, that advanced learner. And that is, a, that is a part of gifted, but there's so much more to gifted than that. Um, and I'm sure we're going to uncover that as we talk. Yes, and I really love that you said you have a, a bigger net distractibility kinds of issues because many of the patients that I see, um, their difficulties look average. You know, their reading is average or a little below, so it's not yeah, looked at as a, And they're yeah. compensating. And so, um, so their parents feel a fools many, many people, their parents and often the schools. So and if you're at grade level, nobody thinks they have to do anything about it, even though they're probably several standard deviations away from their capability. Yes, because often the giftedness is missed because they either aren't writing well or I've had patients that have had speech language problems. So their speaking or articulation is reduced. And so people don't really get to see who that that child might be because of their speech language and miss some of their many strengths. Um, tell us how, you know, these children should be evaluated and should be discovered because uh, I can't tell you how many people that I see that have never been identified. And, you know, three of the people, three of the kids are gifted and one, per, one child who comes into uh, our office, they say, oh, this one isn't gifted. And sure enough, I know he is, but there's often these other distractible kinds of issues that are pulling performance down. So let's talk a little bit about how they get identified or don't get identified. Right. So, uh, you know, we, we say that the gift masks the challenge or the challenge masks the gift and neither is okay because you're missing out on enrichment or support that's much needed. So typically a child would have a neuropsychological evaluation by a psychologist and for gifted and 2E people, it's pretty imperative that it be done by somebody who understands the complexity of a twice exceptional profile, because otherwise there may be a misdiagnosis or an assumption. I have a, a talk I give on the uncanny likeness between ADHD and gifted. Put a gifted kid in a classroom that's boring and you're going to see lots of ADHD characteristics. So you really need somebody who knows what they're doing to tease out what's going on for the child. Now, parents can themselves in certain districts, um, and all districts should take into account the parent's point of view, and depending on who the parent is or their experience in the educational world, they may not feel that they actually ha are empowered to do that, but parents should absolutely talk to their school district to say, hey, I see my kid having this rage to learn, these existential considerations, this strong sense between right and wrong and justice and rightness and fairness. I see my kid having this rage to learn about these particular topics that are definitely beyond um, what perhaps a neurotypical person would, how they would concentrate. Those are all sort of ways to identify giftedness. And there's so many myths, Lynn, around giftedness. People think that you have to be gifted in all areas. Um, people think that giftedness means you're organized, turn in your homework, right? Those are high achievers. Those are definitely not gifted people. 
So, you know, it's a matter of evaluation and recognizing those strengths um, and things that are really unique about your child. Well, and that's so true. But what happens when, you know, a parent, you know, all their parents, uh, so many of my parents think their kids are gifted. We all think our kids are gifted. And and the school's tired of all the parents coming in. My kid's gifted. Well, sure, right. all of them yeah. are. So what happens yeah. when they really do show signs, you know, huge empathy or intuition or often art, artistic kinds of qualities? Parents see that, but they're not achievers. So they, they don't fit into a gifted classroom because they're not years ahead in reading. And they don't fit into a learning disability type of situation because they're not that far below. So tell me, what what are the schools doing with these kiddos? Are there really programs for 2E to capture those that fall in the cracks? Or what's happening in the school system? Well, the easy answer is no. <laughs> Thank <laughs> <But> you. <laughs> the, you know, move on. No. Um, so, yeah, we're all banging our heads against the wall. This is part of the reason why I wrote my book, Gifted and Distractible, because I want to. And let me tell you how many schools are using this. I just trained a, a group of teachers in Pennsylvania, 50 actually gifted coordinators. Gifted coordinators, I'm training about 2E, because yes. even if you're a gifted coordinator, you don't really get the complexity of 2E or how to approach 2E. And guess what? Best practices for 2E kids are best practices for all kids. So actually, it behooves everybody to understand how to teach and parent a 2E kid in this day and age. But to answer your question, it's re it really comes that First of all, I think everybody should learn how their brain works. So a neuropsychological evaluation is really an amazing tool um, to really understand what's going on. Now, unfortunately, they don't, within, psychologists don't evaluate for uh, audio or visual processing. And so that requires... And, and so seldomly do I see in a neuropsychological report a psychologist recommending further evaluations. I'll read the report and I'll say to my clients, hey, this doesn't make sense to me. What, what's going on with vision? And I might send them a, a checklist or aud auditory processing. Um, and people are, you know, just think their kid's ignoring them or just think their kid, you know, is slow in reading or just think what our dyslexia is the jumping off point without thinking through those things. So it really is important. And parents, you know, you really have to question, throw out the assumptions that maybe your school is telling you your kid's lazy. They don't want to take a risk. They, you know, failure to launch, throw that out. That's, that's just not real. The kids that's, want to succeed. Something's going on. There's something. That's for sure. Behavior is communication. So what underlies, what's happening? What's the trigger? What's the learning difference? Yeah. Are there uh, specific indicators you look for, uh, both in when you meet your, your kiddos as, and adults, as well as the evaluation that could indicate auditory and or visual processing difficulties? I mean, some are very so obvious. Of, yeah, let me just be super duper clear. I do not work with children. I circle the wagons of all the grownups. So I work with parents directly. I work with 2E adults directly. I work with teachers directly. And I also help uh, clinicians and uh, medical professionals to understand the profile. So I don't evaluate kids. I do Got refer it. to different people. And I, and I have a global clientele all over the world. So me reviewing perhaps a report or hearing what a parent says. Um, if a kid, you know, if you're frustrated because you talk and your kid just totally doesn't like register or says what, what, what over and over, 
could be that they're totally in flow in a passion project. And then I actually recommend that my parents write on a sticky note, you know, dinner in five minutes and hand it to them. So it's not as jarring because so often my parents share that they're, they'll just say, Hey, dinner in five minutes. The kid will be like, why are you yelling at me? <laughs> and they're not yelling, but it's to the kid who's so engrossed in there, this gifted kid who's so into what, what they're doing or reading or building or, or even the dreaded screen time, you know, it does sound like screaming to them. And then that also might be an indication that there's, something going on. If the kid has a hard time in a movie or in a restaurant or, you know, covering their ears, then I'm going to say, hmm, we need to evaluate. We need to maybe look into this a little bit more. When there's a kid who, you know, looks at a math worksheet and is like glazed over and just frozen, but then you take one math problem at a time and put it on a whiteboard or even just on a separate piece of paper and they're fine, then we know there's something going on visually. Um, yeah. So those are some of the indicators, but that's not my that's not my wheelhouse to evaluate. Thank you for sharing that because so often when you know what to start looking for, there's very obvious things whether or not testing comes up with that kind of a, a di diagnostic or suspect. And so thanks for covering really yeah, the and, observations. And actually, yeah. Also, you know, you might try standing on one side and saying something to your child and standing on the other side. Sometimes it's ear dependent. Um, yeah. So there's sort of all sorts of, you know, those are very informal, very informal ways. Um, and that just indicates that, oh, I need a deeper evaluation. Yeah. And what I have found is most of the time, um, the 2E patients that I see have super hearing. So there's not a hearing loss but they can't integrate and process what they're hearing well. And the same thing happens visually. They see great. So people go, oh, vision's a strength, but they may not coordinate their eyes or track or process what they're seeing. So so when, when we're looking at, at patients, you know, that have concerns in their function, it's best to rule out really all of these areas before you just jump and put on a label of ADHD or or poor attention or lack of interest because there are these or processing the, right or implement the wrong accommodations right <laughs> that, which is so important real, right because then you feel like oh the kid's not trying or the kid's like oh my god what's wrong with me right, right. they know what's going on yeah right mm -hmm. well, well let's talk about transitions now whether it's transitions into new schools new jobs whatever it is why transitions might be so challenging for two e-learners and, and what are some of the things that um, a parent or an adult could do to help? Yeah, so transitions are one of those things that we see somewhat across the board. Um, and, it, and it has to do really with those overexcitabilities or intensities that we see in the gifted population. So if you have... Uh, sensual overexcitability, which you can think of as similar to sensory processing differences. Um, overexcitabilities all have immense positives and potential pain. Um, so you derive great pleasure or pain from sensory input, right? We dial up or dial down sensory input. We have sensory seekers and sensory avoiders. So transitioning can really kind of upset or be jarring for that neurology that a person has who might be uh, intensely sensitive to sensory input. So what's a transition? Well, everything. You wake up 
you're transitioning from being asleep. You sit down to eat, you transition from not eating. You get into the car, you go to school, you change classes, you go into this classroom. You, you're, you know, everything's a transition if we think about it. So um, you got to build in time. So often, you know, if I had to say what I see almost always are three things. Emotion dysregulation, parents uh, and teachers talk to me about. Um, working memory and processing speed which is like ironic for gifted people. You wouldn't think gifted and slow processing speed, right? And right. which actually, by the way, I should tell you, I refer to as deep processing speed because I actually think that our 2E people are crunching more data, noticing more things. Um, and so transitions become difficult because you're like maybe totally absorbed in something or it's just jarring. It's why a lot of times when I train teachers, I talk about, alternatives to verbal commands, um, how, to, how to, you know, use uh, music or a tone or something written um, to signal transitions so that the auditory input isn't so jarring. So, you know, that's a little bit of the why and the how of transitions. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. And it's so interesting. You mentioned the emotional dysregulation, working memory and processing speed. Uh, so often, again, many of these kids are so sensitive. I mean, their their empathy, their awareness, their gift and liability is all wrapped in the same package. And, um, and parents see sometimes their gift, but don't understand the liability of how it can be painful for them of taking too much in and or whether it's auditory, just emotional. You know, many of these kids are very highly emotional and sensitive to many things. But you know, also mentioned the work of memory and processing speed. And so interesting, Julie, because I've talked to a lot of my patients about why they're slow to complete tests. And you had mentioned about taking in more information than we expected. And here's what I have also discovered. You know, if they had a multiple choice test and they read the question and they look at answer A, they go, nope, that's not correct. However, if this situation was different and this was different, you know, A could be correct. Let me take a look at B and see that. And so they're going far beyond than what's being mm -hmm. asked of the question. Absolutely. And so when I ask them, does it really take you that long to do the test? They go, absolutely. I have to recheck my answers 10 times or I have to rethink everything. And so it's not like, it's really not slow processing. It's just the process they use often is so overly inclusive, the speed Beautiful. at which they get it done. Yeah. So That's it's why been, I say deeper. It, and by the way, yeah. and that directly affects executive functioning <laughs> because, you know, I have a whole talk I do on executive functioning and the gifted characteristics and how it really is a liability for executive functions. Because if you're noticing your example is perfect. If you're, you know, I usually give this example uh, in the book. There's an example of this, you know, you ask this kid to go into a closet and count like how many shirts there are. And, you know, they say 50 and then you throw a two E kid in there and they're like, they see 500 because they're one balled up in the corner and behind a secret panel. And, you know, and then they're like, well, wait a minute, do you want me to organize it by sleeve length or color? Or should I like have a softness or, you know, it's, it's just like a whole other. And those are the people you want to be your doctors and your lawyers and your accountants and your EMTs and the people who are outside the box. And, you know, th those, those are beautiful things, but the world isn't set up for them, you know? Right. So when they start out like this, as littles and they're constantly bombarded with why won't you, why can't you, and will you, why don't you, 
they start to feel like their organic self, there's something broken. And uh, our job really is to keep them intact until they get old enough that they realize what a gift their giftedness is. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, I, I tell many of the parents that this is the kind of kid I would want to hire for my research project, but I wouldn't want to hire him by the hour. So we're going to take a break here uh, for just a couple of minutes. And when we get back, we're going to talk more about the two E adults. So hang on. We'll be right back. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Can your child see, really see, more than 2020? Does your child struggle in school, have trouble with tracking when reading, or resist writing? Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's award-winning book, See It, Say It, Do It, provides parents and teachers with specific tools and strategies in visualization and processing. Improve and empower your child's learning and performance in school, sports, and play. Get See It, Say It, Do It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's book, 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance, has identified the top 50 ways for you to achieve excellent results in any sport activity, enhance eye-mind-body coordination skills, achieve the mental edge, prevent injuries. This book belongs in every athlete's or coach's sports bag. Get 50 tips to improve your sports performance on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, welcome back. We're here today speaking with Julie Skolnick. And Julie's been talking about working with parents of two e-children, and she works with lots of uh, adults uh, and educators dealing with students that have uh, traits of twice exceptional learning. So I'm very interested to hear how well and what you do with uh the parents, because so many of the parents are 2E themselves. They may or may not know that. Uh, there's o- almost always one parent, maybe both, that has been identified as being gifted. Uh, so they're not necessarily surprised about having children that uh, are gifted. But, you know, if a parent has many of the 2E learners' traits as well, possibly disorganization, overstimulation, you know, how do you help them help their kids? Yes, that's a great question. Um, And I do work, you know, I'm never in a silo, right? So if I'm working with parents about their kids, of course, what's happening for them, that's why every single time I work with clients, it's completely different because I have to figure out what's this person's profile and what's their trigger and what's their goal and how do we think of it? And 
And that's just the parent piece. And then I also have clients who are just coming to me as two-way adults, straight up two-way adults, may or may not have kids. So, um, and you're right, it's 100% genetic. And by the way, check this out. I have many clients who have adopted their two-way kids and are still two-way themselves. So somehow we all find each other. Interesting. You know, teachers, <laughs> teachers who teach, I present to clinicians and they're like, oh my gosh, light bulb moment, you know, my mom, my sister, me, you know. So, um, so of course I have to take into account, especially if you have a sensory seeker kid with a sensory avoider parent or vice versa, that, first of all, the self-awareness has to happen, right? That's so important on all sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, let me come at it this way. My book is divided into three parts and it follows my cycle for success. And those three parts are one, understanding, two, strategies, three, advocacy. So number one, you have to have a deep understanding of the person in front of you, whether it's you or your kid or yourself as a 2E, as a parent who's 2E, um, or even if you're not 2E, you know, that's all relevant. Um, and perspective is relevant because we all come to the world looking through our own eyeballs. So until we really understand and kids have a hard time explaining their complex profile, <laughs> you know, no kidding, because sure. everybody has a hard time explaining the kids uh, complex profile. So we really have to dive in and understand in order to then craft strategies that are unique to that human And then we need to advocate in a certain way. I talk about crafting the child's story or crafting your story as a two-way adult. And then we have to advocate for other people to understand, advocate for other people to use these unique strategies and advocate for other people to advocate. Sometimes when I'm training teachers, I'll say, well, actually all the time I'll say, you know, you guys might be the first advocates advocates for this kid because their parents may not understand what's going on. So it's a great, you know, astute question because it's so relevant. Everybody's perspective is so relevant because TUI kids are so much the uh, product of assumptions. People make assumptions, negative assumptions about them. When I work with TUI adults, by and large, they're coming to me for one or two of two things, which is professional fulfillment and personal fulfillment. There's so much masking. There's so much trying to, you know, keep up with somebody else's expectations. And so a lot of what I do is kind of helping people to manage those expectations and actually look at them and say, wait a minute, is that actually even an appropriate expectation for this profile or my profile or my goal? Right. So we dig in in that way. (laughs) That's so interesting. And I know the understanding is number one. Um, when I go through and I, I look at the kids from a visual perspective, somebody else has done the you know neuropsych type of evaluation. And when I see that that um, much of my testing, they're scoring way up in the high 90 percentiles of visual processing, I can't identify them as being gifted, but I talk to them about the scores indicate that it might be. But when I mention that, parents have literally just broke down and crying out, I know he's been so good. You know, they've had this gut feeling of of this and just getting confirmation helps them then have the courage to take the next steps of strategy and advocacy. And that is the, so great. That is so great that you do that. And I just want to say that when I meet with and train psychologists and other mental health professionals, I always say, if you only learn one thing from today, 
is to tell every client that gifted is a thing. It is a thing beyond that your kid is smart. It is a thing that has to be understood and has to be looked at in a way that it also needs support. It is a special need. Giftedness is a special need. Yeah, that's so interesting you say it. I just came back from visiting um, some of my grandkids in another state, and they are both highly um, they don't they don't call them gifted. They don't use the word gifted in the state. Uh, high competency, I think, is what they call them, or HCC or something. And there are people at the school who won't accept that. They just go, they're very bright, and not realize that it goes beyond that. And so their way of treating them is to give them a harder homework with no instruction on the homework, thinking ah. that they're now... Yeah, thinking that they're challenging. What state, their, what state are we talking about? Did we say state, that? Did state, say no, that? I didn't. It's the state of Washington. I had quite a conversation with some people up there. That's uh, interesting because Washington State does have a robust group of people working on giftedness. And actually, the National Association for Gifted Children Conference will be there in November in Seattle. So, you know, I actually recorded I recorded a vlog today. Um I record a vlog a month. I have a free newsletter called Gifted and Distractible. And within it, they have, it's my blog, my blog articles, and then events that are happening. And I literally recorded a vlog today about this very topic and my frustration with different states wanting to change the moniker of gifted to make it more, quote, inclusive, which is such an insult. Because if you're talking about race, I'm here to tell you the same percentage of uh, culturally diverse people are gifted as everywhere and economic, all of it is the same. It's the same percentage. So it's actually insulting to say in order to find gifted, we have to change the name to make it broader. They're just totally not understanding what gifted means. So sorry, I get a little emotionally overexcited about well, this topic. That's so interesting because the people I spoke to in Washington um, have been part of uh, some of the writing the uh, regulations. And yes, I guess there are some, you know, good regulations. Implementation doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they're following the regulations. So that's a whole nother issue I don't know about. I'm looking out for my grandkids and making sure, you know, they have um, what they deserve to get, uh, available education to challenge them. My biggest concern for them, because they're not 2 e kids uh, that I can see, is that they're going to be bored and, you know, behavior can be totally. and, and, problems. And start to hate, yeah, and start to hate school because they're just given, like, more work? That doesn't make sense. We want deeper work. We want work that's meaningful. We want work tied to philanthropy. We want work tied to you know, repairing the world. We want work, things that are just, that extrapolate from what you're doing and, and moves it on to other cultures or deepens the learning, not just gives more to do, which is yeah. totally a myth. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. And the other thing I did want to bring up, um, so many times I see a, a child who's 2E and they're working with a parent you know, like this child may be very artistic, creative, whiteboard, you know, whole brain thinker. And the parent they work with on their homework is totally opposite learning style. They're very organized, sequential, and there's just so much emotional uh, distress between the parent and child because their learning styles are so different. And so this understanding and uh, strategies is so important because when the parent 
start to understanding, oh, is that why I tell them to try to write an outline and they can't do it or they avoid mm -hmm. doing it? And so, um, you know, your three pieces that you talked about, the understanding strategies and advo advocacy, um, really is so important um, for, for all the parents, for the kids' sake, as well as the parents' sake. 100%. And I mean, the book is, has 200 pages of strategies. And one of them is what I call the parent pivot or the teacher twist, which is what I could say, relinquishing the frontal lobe. So as you're talking about, like, write an outline or rather than us telling our kids what to do, it's asking them, like, tell me how <laughs> you would organize this, right? It, it's, rather than solving a problem, oh, well, you should definitely talk to the teacher. Them to critically think about how they would solve their problem. And yeah. it's so important to empower these kids because we are probably doing something completely different. And by the way, parents and teachers are working way too hard when they could be actually having some input from the person who can actually durably solve their problem. You know, it's so funny you say that because my book, it's called See It, Say It, Do It, Visualize, Declare, and Take Action is really written about this population. And when I give it to parents, I tell them the kids really wrote it. <laughs> you know, the story, <laughs> the strategies uh, are from, the, you know, 40 years of experience with kids who have taught me how they learn differently and, and some of their tricks. So yeah, Amazing. opening it up to them, just, uh, you know, allow them to be right sometimes, you know, too often it's like, I'm the bare parent, I need to be right. And so often, um, yeah that kiddo has a whole different way of looking at the world and, and that that's their gift and their liability all in the same package. Yeah. Um, well, we have a few minutes left. I want to make sure uh, that you talk more about what's in your book, uh, you know, including, you know, strategies for successful communication between parents and educators and any other great tidbits you'd like to share with our audience. Well, thank you. Yeah. There are just so many, um, uh, all sorts of strategies that I've amassed. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence in the book um, and asking specifically about uh, fostering uh, communication, collaborative communication. I love when I speak to parents and teachers at the same time because I'm breaking down barriers. I'm assuming we're on the same team and we're going to collaborate, right? Like the, the parent worries that, oh, the teacher's rolling their eyes because here I come again. Let's go back to what we started talking about, Lynn, where every parent thinks, thinks their kid's gifted, right? And teachers think right. the parents think that all their, you're right. So, you know, there's <laughs> that. But then the teachers are like, oh, here comes this parent. They're going to ask me 50,000 things. And then the parent is like afraid that the teacher is going to not recognize the strengths in their kid. So there are lots of ways to sort of, to sort of foster these relationships. And I'm just going to pick one of my top 10 lists. Um, which is uh, making deposits. So you, you get to cash in on your dividends by making these deposits in your relationship with uh, parents to teachers and teachers to parents. So for teachers, you're depositing in the trust bank account. And that means you have our kids all day long. So we need you to let us know as often as possible about the things our kids does that are actually magnificent. We need to hear when our kid is at their best. And by the way, parents, if teachers don't offer up this information, I always recommend your first question at a parent-teacher conference is, tell me when you see my kid shine. When is my kid their best self? And if the teacher's like, mm, never, 
then we have an issue and we need to figure out what's happening within that toxic environment, right? So that, so teachers, I recommend often, um, I even have them, you know, at back to school and I write the name and address of every parent on an envelope or give envelopes to the parents to do it for you. And then to write a very short one to three sentence note sometime during the year that says something fabulous. Why, why do I have them doing the old fashioned writing and not an email? Cause now they can hang it up. Their kid can see it. Everybody gets a benefit from seeing this and it requires the teacher to really think about it. For parents, they de make deposits in the positive perspective bank account. So this is twofold for parents. One is to recognize that teachers see their kids only in the classroom and that's probably not where they're shining. Otherwise you wouldn't be talking to me. So, right. so <laughs> let's, let's send a picture of our kid involved in not holding up the book they read, not holding up the finished Lego project, not standing next to a homeless person they just served lunch to, but actually in the process of reading the book, building the Lego, serving the homeless person. Show your child involved, engaged, in flow. A picture is absolutely a thousand words. Let the teacher know, oh, you know, Johnny got his uh, green belt today. So that the teacher can then say, hey, I received this picture or I got this email from your mom. Tell me about how hard was it to get your green so now we're fostering this like relationship building. Johnny feels really proud of himself. He feels seen, whereas otherwise he's feeling really redirected all the time. So that's one of the ways to make a deposit in the positive perspective bank account. And then the other way is if Johnny says anything positive about school, send that email to, to the teacher. Yes. Teachers hear negatives. Yes. They need to hear something positive. Johnny loves the story you're reading during lunch. Johnny loves the lab you're doing in bio. You know, is there some something else I can give him to read? Just so that the teacher knows, because now the teacher is going to have a feel a good feeling about Johnny and is going to be motivated to interact with Johnny. We're all human, so it's really important to delve into and be intentional about making these deposits. I love that, Julie, and I think what it really shows up is the importance of communication. Too often, all the parent and or the teacher, the only time they talk is at their formal, um, you know, reviews or, or once a semester. And mm -hmm. and I understand from the teacher's perspective, they have 20 plus kiddos, all with different needs. Great teachers seem to find a way to make this happen. Um, but the and communication. It, it, the work on the front end pays off dividends hugely on the back yes. end, for sure. Yeah, that for is sure. great. I'm very sensitive to the amount of work that, that teachers have, but these strategies are really impactful and make their job actually easier and more yeah. fulfilling. Right, everybody's much happier and and, uh, and prouder and, and it becomes a team which, you know, warms your heart. And that's something I've had such a, such a wonderful, uh, you know, career in seeing the kiddos that have visual processing problems we have treated. And after you remove a barrier, and it's so interesting because for many of these kids, they learn, much of their learning is automatic. They don't even know how it happens. They just know, they just, you know, get it. But if something's challenging, they often don't have strategies to learn or they don't want to have a strategy to learn. They just want to know it. So little problems go a long way. And, and after we've done treatment with these patients, and see how it can totally change their life and they can live into their potential. I mean, that's what we're all in this business for is to see these kids blossom 
and grow into their potential. So well, I appreciate being being on your podcast and having this wonderful discussion um, from these different perspectives. I'm I'm really delighted. Well, I thank you so much for your work. It is so important. And if you want to mention your website and how they might reach you, uh, and of course, where to get your book. Sure. Well, the book is everywhere. It's published by Penguin Random House. So you can go to their site. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere. Um, you can also go to withunderstandingcomescalm.com. There's a link there as well to buy the book. That's where you'll find our free newsletter, also called Gifted and Distractible, which is weekly. Um, you'll learn about the Haystack membership for 2E adults, which is a very cool membership for 2E adults. Uh, with a theme a month, we have we have so many 2E adults from all over the world as part of this incredible membership, and they get to hang out with each other, which is why we call it the Haystack, because it's like finding needles in a haystack, finding 2E adults. So all of those 2E needles, and we open enrollment four times a year. Um, and then you can, I'm everywhere on social media. If you look up Julie Skolnick with Understanding Comes Calm or Let's Talk 2E, you will find us on Facebook, Instagram, X, uh, LinkedIn, as well as a YouTube channel. And even if you can believe it, Pinterest. <laughs> so that's, that's the least <laughs> that we contribute to. But um, there's just a, if, you know, I always say to people, if you go to withunderstandingcomescom.com, please pack snacks. You'll be there for a while. There's tons of free information and resources. I've been writing a blog a month since 2014. They're all there. Um, so enjoy and feel free to reach out. We also offer a 20-minute free consultation to anybody who'd like it. So you can reach out to support at withunderstandingcomescom.com. That goes straight to my awesome assistant, and she can help you schedule that. Well, that's fabulous. And I thank you and your team for what you do and making such a difference in the world and helping people realize their vision. So thank you so much for being on. And uh, everybody go out and get get her book, Invaluable Information for You. So thanks <laughs> thank very you. much. And we'll talk to you all thanks, soon. Thanks, Dr. Lynn. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.